Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 225. Finishing off this week with one final episode, I first met Walter Todd at the East-West matches last year at Merido Golf Club. What an incredible guy, so humble, so genuine. He's a native of South Carolina and has flourished in the Mid-Am and now the senior ranks, especially in and around the Palmetto State. He's won the Azalea Senior and even ventured down to Georgia to capture the Jones Senior. Now, despite being very humble, and somewhat soft-spoken, don't let that fool you. Because Walter Todd went undefeated at the East-West matches. You know, there were over 637 combined USGA appearances between the 40 guys at the East-West matches, and this guy surely held his own. He's a blast to be around, always with a great story. I knew that I absolutely had to have him join me here at the back of the range. Now, this episode was recorded a little while back, right around Ryder Cup time. I was probably in the middle of some consecutive weeks of travel, so I apologize for this episode getting out a little bit late. But sit back, grab a beer, or maybe a soda pop, or even a sweet tea, and enjoy my conversation with a true Southern gentleman, Walter Todd. Walter, thanks for joining me. You're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great, Ben. Uh appreciate you considering me to, to be on here. I feel very honored. Well, well, we'll, uh, well it's, it's my honor. It's, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you way back in, gosh, what was that? Was that 2019 at the East-West matches at Merido? It feels like ages ago. It does, but as, as you know, it goes by quick. Oh, sure. Yeah, well, lot, lots a lot has changed in, uh, in, in, gosh, in the world and everything that we're dealing with now, but um, – yeah, the East-West matches at Merida, we're definitely going to talk about that. That's really where I got to see you play. And I got to see a lot of putts made. We're definitely going to talk about uh, the, the the legendary short game that you displayed there at, at Merida. Um, but let's see. You're the first guest that I've spoken with after uh, since the Ryder Cup has been completed at Whistling Straits. Uh, not only you're an accomplished amateur player, but I'm sure you're a fan of the game. Uh, I'm guessing you watched just a little bit of uh, a little bit of the Ryder Cup, right? I watched a lot of the Ryder Cup. <laughs> I sure did enjoy it very much. Um, and you know, I'm, I might regret saying this, but um, some, you know, it's hard for me to pull against anybody in those matches. Okay. Um, I loved um, I loved the European guys. They seem like great guys. Love both captains. Obviously, I'm pulling for the Americans, but they're if I'm being completely honest, I'll say there are certain matches or certain pairings that I don't feel a little. I feel a little bit kind of compelled to, to maybe pull a little bit for some of the Europeans, but I want the Americans to win the matches for sure. But uh, you know, it's hard to pull against certain personalities. Uh, like I say, I may regret saying that. No, but, well, I mean, no, everyone. Well, everyone kind of has their favorites. I mean, all these guys know each other anyway, and and they're all so close. And yeah, I can imagine that uh, 
you know, there's some guys that I, I watch and I say, well, you know, that I don't get too, you know, excited for that guy. I mean, like, how do you, like, like Shane Lowry, how do you root against Shane Lowry? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, Rory, how great he handled things. That interview with him touched me Yeah. at the end. Um, and, and how the Europeans just love it. And the Americans do too as well. And I love the way it's been embraced and the teens and, um, that's great. Sometimes I don't like to see is the fans, uh, you know, cheering for missed shots or missed putts. I, and I think some of the players try to tone that down as well, which I was glad to see. But yeah, that's great entertainment. The, I thought the play was great from both sides. Um, that, that it, it just, the Europeans played well as, you know, the Americans just played better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was kind of the over, uh, overwhelming, uh, sentiment is just uh, we we have a much stronger team now, much younger team now, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I I completely agree with you. My my only, I guess the only thing that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way with the Ryder Cup this year was uh, just like you said, some of the fans. I felt that um, you know just some of the you know booing really good shots or complete silence with really good shots. And I I know that it's going to be like that over in in Rome in a couple of years and I know they give it just as good as we give it, but I just I, I don't like seeing that event go that direction. I just Me either. Or any event in golf. I well, just well, uh, yeah, that's very true. I, I I just I just don't you know I, I don't know. We we only get it once every two years. It should be a celebration of the game. It should be a celebration of competition and I just you know, if you want to go boo people, go to, you know, go to UFC, go to professional wrestling, go, I just, it's just not, doesn't do it for me. I, I just, I'm really concerned. I hope it doesn't keep going in that direction. I'm with you a hundred percent. Were you, uh, were you potentially at, uh, I mean, do you, were you at Kiowa in 91? Uh, I mean, you you live in Lawrence, South Carolina, just, you know, three hours, you know, Northwest of Kiowa. Do you have any memories of being at uh, the Ryder Cup in '91, by any chance? I, I did not. I did not go to the um, the Ryder Cup in person. I was actually playing an event at Columbia Country Club, and we got through, and there was uh, just a big crowd in the bar. I do remember it vividly um, at Columbia Country Club, and watching Langer miss the putt, and that. I go back to that. You know, it's hard for me even the way things were then to be pulling against Langer. I, I'm, it's hard for me to pull against any of those guys when yeah. it gets like that. I mean, I love those Europeans. I love most all the Americans and it, it's hard for me to get as charged up as some of them, you know, it's just to get there. Cause it's, you know, those Europeans seem like great guys and they uh, seem like it'd be fun to have a, couple of sodas with and you try to get a lot of laughs out of them sodas so i'm not okay well cool pot there you go cold beers there you go um <laughs> yeah. well, well well as i said Lawrence, south carolina uh that's where you're, you're living right now and um i'm guessing native native of south carolina you spent your whole life there i spent my whole life right here in Lawrence, south carolina born and raised and never really wanted to be anywhere else i'm plan to expire here um <laughs> you know me. i guess and, yeah. and i you know i travel i guess i'm okay travel probably like everything more than some and less than others but i've i never want to be anywhere else and when i go for 
eight or ten days, I'm ready to get back. So t- I love it. It's just a small town. It's about probably 12,000 people in the city. Um, so it's big enough for me. And we can be, I can be downtown Greenville in 35, 40 minutes and near the beach, near the, near the mountains is, um, get all four seasons. And yeah, I love it here. Never want to be anywhere else. That's awesome. How did you get into the game of golf in Lawrence, South Carolina? Well, I grew up with two older brothers who played. My my father loved to play golf. Uh, he took it up later in life. He he played football and basketball in college, but he took up golf and he loved it. Um, and so we would play golf at Lakeside Country Club, which is a little 63, 6,400-yard course uh, in Lawrence. And, you know, during the summers I'd play and loved it and play nine holes, go to the pool come back and play nine more and just grew up around the game. And I played other things growing up. So in the spring and the, and the summer we would play golf and you know, played other sports and did different things. But golf has always been something I remember from the time I could hold a golf club, I guess. Now, a lot of the, you know, a lot of guys that I have on the podcast, you know, they're playing collegially right now at a lot of, you know, big programs, whether it's, you know, Clemson or Texas, Oklahoma State. And, you know, we talk a lot about the, um, you know, the, the junior golf and college recruiting processes that they had to go through. I mean, they're playing uh, all over the country. They're, they're getting recruited at, you know, whether in eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. I mean, they have college coaches all over them. And, um, you know, trying to, to help them or kind of learn from them and how they navigate that process. Uh, you know, what, what was your junior golf experience like? It's one thing to get into the game, but it also, you know, you're obviously an accomplished amateur and, and been playing, for, uh, you know, uh, you know, playing competitively for so long, you know, what was it like as a junior for you when you were just playing, was it just playing nine holes and going to the pool, like you said, or did, did it start transitioning into competi- into a competitive environment? You know, to tell you the truth, I probably played two or three junior events a year. There was an, uh, I'd play in the state junior. I'd, uh, Spartanburg, Country Club of Spartanburg had an event and Greenville had an event. And that's probably the extent of my junior golf. Uh, I wasn't, I had okay high school player and I really was not recruited. I mean, maybe, maybe recruited to play golf, but I played football and basketball growing up and I actually, played a couple of years of uh, football at Walford College. Um, so I really did not um, – golf was not my thing growing up, really. I really? was more focused on the football and the basketball, and I love golf. I probably loved it better than any of them, so I don't know why I didn't figure it out. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I played a couple of years of football at Walford. I probably got a record up there um, that's still standing, Ben. And I can say this without having a breakdown. I, I, I threw four interceptions in one half. <laughs> so, uh, that kind of ended my um, high school, I mean, my college football. But um, anyway, it maybe motivated, motivated me to be to try to be better at golf as time went on. And I, and I played a match or two for Walford when I was up there. Um, and then I transferred to Presbyterian College, and we Play, I played there, but we really probably never had a practice or you know, had a football coach that would drive us. And so I really got into the really competitive golf in my late 20s or 
really in my 30s. So what's really great about the game, and that's kind of funny that uh, – so, so basically that was pretty much the time when you knew football wasn't in your future, four interceptions in one half, right? Well, I, I, it was – I thought it might be, but that's that's a shock to a 20-year-old system when you think you're going to be a pretty good football player and all of a sudden you're you're done. I don't know if I realized it realized it quite at the time but looking back i was done after that after that game uh i yeah i can imagine that uh yeah the coach had some words with you at that point uh he had some words he had some words getting off the field i won't get i won't i won't forget that pretty much forever but um (laughs) well i'm sorry that i brought it up or that that it came up i didn't think that was going to happen uh during this episode (laughs) Uh, that's no worries. I can tell it now without having a breakdown, okay. but it's, it's, it, it was not pleasant. Well, well, you're a strong man. Memory was not a good memory, but I'm learning to deal with it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, and, and what's interesting, just talking about, you know, basically you're getting into the game and getting competitive when, when you reach kind of the mid-am circuit. And, not, and now, you know, obviously the, the mid-am, uh, you know, game is, is very popular. We're, we're actually chatting right now during the U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship. And, um, you know, how did you balance career and then also golf? Because that's something that's really challenging now. But uh, and I think it's always going to be challenging. People have to balance their family, uh, you know, family obligations and their their career aspirations and then also get out and play a little bit. You know, how did you balance that to the point where you got to say, hey, you know, I'm getting better at this. Maybe I'm going to start competing. Well, I had a very understanding wife, for one thing. Um, uh, she supported me, um, and my golf game, I got married when I was right at 30 and my golf game started to get better. My wife has supported me. I mean, she was keeping two children young when I was going to play golf a lot of times. And I look back on that. I probably didn't appreciate it as much, uh, then as I do now, but she, she put up with a lot and, and you know maybe I'd hear a little bit about it, but not much. She was very supportive, and uh, and it made a lot of difference in a lot of ways. And I, I was in a family business, and you know I could take off from time to time. Although it was a labor-intensive business, we were food service distributors, but um, somehow we made it work and had a lot of good support in in the business as well. So I couldn't have done it without a lot of help. And I probably play a lot more now than I did then, but uh, I I played a lot through the years. Yep. And then your boys are also playing as well. And then obviously we're we're gonna lead into just talking a little bit about you know the Southern or the South Carolina you know Golf Association provides just so many great tournaments and I mean there's so many great golf courses in South Carolina as well. I mean there's really no shortage of events that you can play in. Um, how did you introduce them to the game? You know, they, they, there's a great South Carolina uh, junior golf, and they both started when they were eight or nine and made a lot of great friends. Um, and they both continued to play competitively, you know, I guess from from that time on. My oldest, Walt Jr., plays probably a little more than Neil. But they're both probably equal equal in, in talent. But uh, it, Walt plays a little more. Neil likes to hunt and fish and he just got married last weekend. So he, um, it's, it's not quite as important to him or he has more other 
interest. And Walt's kind of like me. He just likes to, <laughs> to play golf. Uh, Neil is a little more diversified. There you go. Well, they, I, I mean, I know that Walt played, uh, Walt Jr. played at, at Winthrop. So obviously it's, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, following kind of, uh, down that line of play, you know, played competitively in, in college. And then also you guys captured the father son and you guys go back and forth. I think if I understand it correctly, you guys kind of rotate as to who's playing with who, is that right? How do you guys figure that out? Well, we, we do exactly. There's a South Carolina, uh, father son and there's a Carolina father son. And no matter what happens, we alternate years. And, um, I've had success with both of them, which is, which is very dear to me. Um, and and they um you know it's just worked out very well i've won with both of them in the south carolina and then walt and i won a couple of carolina's father sons as well and neil and i've lost in a playoff there so we're competitive in that and uh that's that's something that is very dear to me and a lot of fun and uh something i probably choke in more than worse than anything is when i get in those father sons oh you but, mean i mean like the pressure it, pressure you mean it's the, yeah, it's I, it's very important to me, and I I get a little nervous in them. I, I'll admit that. Oh, real? Okay, so you probably so you're saying you get more nervous in a father son than if you're playing in like a state mid or a state senior or even a even a USGA event. Uh you know, I get nervous playing in a Friday afternoon <laughs> bunny hop, but okay, uh but the alternate shot and you're playing with your son and you don't want to let them down and it's uh i'll admit it's nerve-wracking and when you're it's maybe so even more so than playing for yourself and in certain events okay yeah. so so do you remember a time when when maybe like instead of you trying to you know ease your son's uh nerves and help them along do you remember a time that your son maybe kind of the the, the tables turned where, where he was like let, let me kind of help dad through this you know, this happened just in the last few years with both of them. You know, they uh, they're they're the better players now, and I uh, I probably yeah that, that's exact that's exactly what you said has happened. And in fact, Walt and I got in a playoff this year at uh, at Chanticleer for the South Carolina Father Son, and went to a playoff, and I hit the second shot in the water. Um, so. And it was a bitter pill, but he passed me on the back and, you know, tried to calm me down before the shot and after. And, you know, it's just like I, I know I heard Pat Harrington say, you know, you put yourself out there in sport and sometimes you're going to do well and sometimes you're not. And I, I go back through my any kind of sport I've played and I've been times when I've played well. And there's been time when I failed miserably or choked miserably, however you want to say. But um, the only thing you can do is go back out there and try to play again, try to hit the next shot or throw the next pass or whatever it be, hit the next free throw. I, you know, if you played a game or whatever, you're gonna have to you're gonna have those opportunities to to play well or not. So yeah, it's it's interesting you that you that you mentioned that with, with just kind of the, the dynamic kind of changing. And I don't, I don't know about you being the weaker player. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, accomplishments attached to your name. I mean, 2017 Jones cup junior or Jones cup senior 
amateur champion, uh, you know, senior Azalea in 2019, player of the senior player of the year. So, you know, you're racking up a lot of these titles. Um, and I'm sure you know the answer and can speak, you know, uh, you know, at length about this, but just how good is the mid-am senior circuit in, in the Carolinas? I mean, gosh, you know, I, I mean, we've had, well, I, that's, that's, that's the point that I, I've always made. I've, and it's dear to me that I think golf in the Carolinas and has been great, um, from the mid-ams to the seniors. And you can see it on the, on the national levels when you go to the mid-ams or the U.S. seniors, uh, you can see the Carolinas are well represented and go a little further. You can see the Carolinas are well represented on the PGA tour and the corn ferry, um, for the States and the population wise, I think per capita, it'd be hard to say anywhere else was represented any better. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, first time met you uh, was at the East West matches. You know, really just this this really new format, this new event that that came out, which is, you know, really just we're talking Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, this is really just kind of right along those lines where it's, uh, you know, the best mid ams and senior ams, and you know we got a couple of those young guys that got got in there as well. But for the most part, it's really focused on mid ams and senior ams you know, the best, you know, east of the Mississippi and the best west of the Mississippi and just this great format, great location. It was obviously at Merido Golf Club. Um, you know, a lot of lot of great players there, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them. But, um, you know, you were keeping an eye on this, weren't you? You you knew that this was coming up, and you were, you were thinking, maybe I'm going to get an invite, but maybe not. No, I absolutely was keeping an eye on that, and uh, I was watching the rankings, and I knew where I was, but I did I did not know the selection process. But uh, I got a call, I guess probably six weeks before, maybe I saw Scott Harvey's name pop up on my phone, and we talked a little bit, and then he asked me to play, and then we chatted a little bit afterwards. He said, "I bet you wondered, you know, what was going on." And I saw my saw you saw my name pop up, and I said, "Scott, you know, actually." I really did, and I'd been following this, and I knew with you involved and Paul involved and I, Tim Jackson and Jim Holtzgrieve and Kevin Marsh, the captains, I knew it would be a great event and something that, you know, I wanted to be a part of. So, uh, yeah, I was keeping up with it, and, and when I got that call from Scott, it was uh, it was a big deal to me. Now, we'll, yeah. We'll, then, yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the play and, and some of the people that you played with and partners, but – Going into it, was there someone that you maybe had not met or played with in your, you know, time, uh, you know, playing nationally or even even regionally? Was there someone that you saw that was going to be either on your team or someone else or the other team that you were like, you know what, I, I'm going to go play some golf, but there's a couple guys that I want to sit down and you know have a have a as you say have a have a soda with. Um, who were some of those guys that you, that you maybe were like, I, I got to get to know them a little bit better. Well, I mean, I can, you know, Jim Holtzgrieve had heard his name forever, and and, and I kind of got on a first-name basis with him. Uh, you got Hagestad on the other side. You had the U.S. amateur champion on our team, John Pock. Um, it, it was, you know, I was in, you know, I, I was in awe of a lot of them. I, the USGA championships that were 
that were represented there. I mean, my partners, two of my partners are USDA champions in both those matches. Um, pretty much everybody there was accomplished as, you know, it was hard to even, in amateur golf, you know, they were they were up there. You know, I'm pretty accomplished around Lawrence, South Carolina or Lakeside or wherever you want to be, but when you get in those circles, you uh, figure out pretty quick, you know, you're 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 not the man, but I was happy to be there. Trust me. <laughs> now you, you mentioned Hagestad. Uh, you you use. Uh, you, now, am I correct? Do you use a long putter? Or am I just am I am I incorrect with that? He does. No, I know yeah. he does. I I do not. Okay, for some reason I thought that you did. I I. No. Okay. Um, I use a, about a thirty three inch putter, and I, right. I still get that's down right. on the steel on that. That's right. That's right. Um, interesting. So, so, all right. So let me ask you that. Um, you know, you mentioned Hagestad. Obviously, Hagestad uses the long putter. And, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, when you think of kind of about people using a long putter, it's kind of something you see more with, with mid-ams or with senior ams. Everyone, you know, as you, as you get on in years, you're trying to figure out how to, you know, how can we keep the putting, uh, how can we keep everything moving uh, and, and successful? But you, you're still using an old and a short putter. Talk to me about your approach to putting. You know, I use a short putter, and I, I'm down on the steel on it. And my daddy used to say I get my sharecropper stance. <laughs> I'm bent over. I'm about, I'm a little over six feet tall, but I've got a 33 inch putter, and I still get down on the steel on it, especially on short putts. And uh, I guess the more pressure I get, or the more pressure I feel, the lower I get. And uh, I wondered if I could stand up more and try to stroke it and free it up more. But when I get under pressure, I still revert back to my old ways. And hunched over, I see pictures of myself putting. I say, man, I got to stand up. But <laughs> it's just hard for me to break old habits. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so I, I want to stay on this because I find it interesting. Most most people, um, you know, they kind of stick with a, a very consistent routine, very much with their fundamentals. And it sounds to me that you maybe not abandon your fundamentals, but like you said, you, you get to a pressure situation. Maybe you crouch down a little bit lower. What kind of work do you do on your short game um, to, to stay sharp? You know, that's one thing. We've got, of course, Musgrove Mill that they built in the late 90s. It probably was a big factor in helping my game. And they've got a great short game area out there. And that's probably where I spend most of my time. Um, is it the short game area and and at the putting green when I go to practice? Um, I've lost a little speed. I don't hit it as far, but you know, I'm in competition, I look back and the, you know, I don't think that's the reason why I don't play well is because I'm not hitting it far. I think you know, if I don't play well, it's usually my wedge game wasn't good, or I've missed some putts, or three putted, or don't get up and down from certain areas. Um, I can still compete if my iron plays good and, you know, my short game's good, even though I've lost some distance. You know, I think that's still where the game is going to come down to, I hope. So you're basically saying, you know, everyone, as they get older, everyone's going to lose distance. Everyone's going to, you know, just the shots are not going to carry as far. There's going to be issues there. But as long as you kind of got a good short game, you can pretty much compete with anyone. Uh, in, the, in the senior game. That, sure, sure. That's, Yes, that's the way I kind of believe, and it's what I'm hoping because um, I'm getting even short for senior standards. <laughs> so, 
But that's not what – I don't think that's what will keep me from being competitive is losing a little distance. It's if I can keep my short game, you know, in, in good form. Yeah. You uh, you mentioned uh, you know just kind of all these great players at the uh, at the East West matches and and I I think uh, the number is I think the number was six thirty seven but uh, Scott Harvey and I were trying to figure out how many USGA championships were shared by uh, USGA championship appearances were shared by all the players at the East West matches and we just kind of calculated and tabulated it and that night before. The matches started. We kind of announced that to everyone else in the room. Six thirty-seven. Um, you're at that point. I'm guessing even at that point, you're thinking to yourself, "What did I get myself into?" I mean, I'm thrilled to be here, but oh my gosh, just that's just a a a, a massive number that just hits you right in the face. It, it really was, and uh, you know, I, like I said, I was nervous uh, starting the first match. I hit the first shot in the uh, yeah. East-West match. So that's one thing they can't take away from me. And I made contact. So, um, yeah, no, true alternate. No, the first the first matches were four balls, so yeah. Chip and I. Yeah, Chip Lutz, uh, uh, former U.S. Senior Amateur Champion. It's you and Chip against Robert Funk and Brian Norton. Yes, that was a great match. And, and once we – and we were actually – we were – Chip and I were three down going into uh, – Number twelve, and sounds like really Chip. Sounds like Chip. Play, well. It sounds like Chip played pretty poorly. You had to carry him. Is that what happened? No, <laughs> trust me, that's not what happened. I started out playing poorly, and I don't even know if I'd help Chip through the first eleven holes. But on number twelve, we were three down, and I made about an eight footer to keep us from going four down. And um, it kind of relaxed me. It kind of helped me. I knew we were still in the match. And number uh, 13, it probably turned my whole week around. I made it from about, I want to keep my feet uh, true here. I probably made it from about 60 feet. And we went two down. The next hole, the par three, Chip hit it to about two inches. Uh, the match goes to one down. On 15, um, we all four players, Robert and uh, and Brian, and I and Chip were all probably in 15 to 20 feet. Chip putts first and makes it, and we and they missed their putt, so the match goes to even. And I birdied 16 to put it one up, and both teams par 17, and Chip birdies 18. So after we won that match, um, you know, it was like I, I knew I wasn't going to get skunked, and I had been out there. I was going to record on the um, in the matches, and I still got a picture of of Paul, our captain, Paul Simpson, and uh, and Chip and I displayed right there in my office where I spent a lot of time. And every time I look at it, it it brings me a lot of joy. So, you know, once I got that first match on the board, it was uh, – I had I got a little confidence going forward. You mentioned Paul Simpson, captain of the team. Uh, you know, we're not going to go down the list of, of how many USGA championships everyone has, but um, I think Paul is – I mean, this guy's age is almost the same number as the USGA championship that he's played in, and that's around 70, which is just incredible. Um, what's it – I mean, obviously, you guys have crossed paths. He's, he's a Carolina guy just like you. Um, but when you get to spend that much time with him 
and be around that guy. I mean, I, I can't be around Paul Simpson without laughing or hearing a great story. Is there a story you can share that you heard from Paul? Because, you know, he's known to, you know, share a story and, and maybe have a little glass of grape juice alongside of him when he's doing it. What's one of your fondest memories from just being with Captain Simpson that time? Despite being probably the, the best player, or oh, actually he's been the best player for generations in the Carolinas, but he's one of those rare guys that, I don't know, he's probably the most popular. People want to be around him. He's never big-timed anybody. He's still just one of the boys and go have a, uh, as you say, great juice with the boys and tell stories. And uh, you just couldn't couldn't make it up how good he's been and what he's won and how, how he continues to be that good and how, how motivated he is to do what he does. And, you know, it was it was awesome playing for him as a captain. He's great to be around, whether you're playing with him or uh, against him. You know, I played a lot with him through the years. And he, he's just what epitomizes what I think amateur golf and is meant to be. I think anybody would tell you that. Um, so, yeah, he's just a, he's great to be around. He's a treasure for the Carolinas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, during the practice round, he actually played a little bit. And I said, you know, let me go see the action of this guy. Let me go see what Paul Simpson's all about. And he goes and hits that three-wood on, on the 10th tee. And that, you know, the 10th hole of Merido is just very challenging because it's just water left. The fairway just doesn't, doesn't look big at all because it isn't. And, yeah, he just gets up there, a couple waggles, and he's got his big old floppy hat on and just the pipes of three with dead straight. And I'm like, yep, there it is. I see it. I understand now. Yep, no glove. No glove. Well, he does the same little move and just uh, he, he he makes an athletic move at it as he's close to 70 years old. And he's still, boy, he, 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 you see that move and you see how good he's been for so long. Even though his short game is – what he's known for, he, oh, yeah. he he's hit it well through the years too, or he wouldn't have been there yeah. there as well. Yeah, you uh, you go uh, for for a guy that that didn't know if uh, he was going to be at the same you know accomplishments and same level as everyone else there. You know, obviously a lot of big names, a lot of big USGA accomplishments. Um, how how much how much joy do you t i mean you went four no uh walter are you aware of that you you you, you went undefeated i was very aware of that <laughs> that's a joy for me and it, it'll it'll be a joy for me and forever so uh yeah it was a lot of fun i had great partners um and partners that were understanding and you know i told you i hit the first shot in the um in the matches but i'll guarantee you i hit the worst shot as well oh well let's hear uh, about that one all right, Jeff Knox and I was my second match, and I've known Jeff. What a great guy he is. Uh, we're even going into the fifth hole, which is water down the right and rough down the left. He And, and he drives the ball as good as anybody I've about ever seen. I was out there about 115 yards from the hole. The match is even, and I just shank, chunk, a gap wedge right into the water. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we lose the hole. I have to tee off on the next hole, and you know, he, he handled it perfect. He didn't come over there and say, oh, don't worry about it, don't do this and that. He just, you know, just calm as he could, you know, next, go to the next hole. And I hit, I made contact. We, I hit it out, hit a hybrid out there. The next hole goes up the hill, the short hole. 
and he hit a wedge underneath the hole on number six to about 15 feet, and I made it to put us back even, and we went on to win that match. So, But my partners were very understanding. They were calm, and it was um, – it, it just um, it worked out well, you know. I appreciate my partners, and I couldn't. Have, there's nowhere to hide when you go to foursomes or even four balls. Yeah, especially foursomes. You got to you hit a bad shot. You got to go to the next hole. You got to go to the next shot. If your partner hits it in there close or bad, whatever, you got to go to the next one and hit it. And I'd hit a terrible shot, and you know, the only thing you can do is go to the next hole and next shot and try to do your best. So sounds like you had great partners. Uh, we can't leave out former U.S. mid-amateur champion Kevin O'Connell. Tell me about that match. Third match, you know, I played with um, with Kevin O'Connell, who was a U.S. mid-amateur champion and a great guy. I'd known Kevin, and we played on some Carolinas teams together in the Carolinas-Virginia's matches, but I never played with him. So uh, I was excited to be paired with him, and, and what a great guy. And we went on to win, but about – maybe somewhere on the front side. I had left him about, you know, sometimes in, in this in the foursomes you'll be putting from 25, 30 feet, and it seemed like three or four holes in a row I had 25, 30-footers, and I knocked them by four or five, three, four, five feet, and <laughs> he kept knocking them in. I said, and I said, Kevin, man, I'm sorry to keep leaving there those four-footers, Five footers, he said, Hey, don't worry about it. I'm only 32 years old, you know. <laughs> so, that just that attitude and that, you know, I had great partners, which was, um, and they were very understanding and, and seemed to understand the game and, and probably me being a little nervous and, and they got it. And, uh, just the way they handled things lightheartedly kind of got me through it and was very dear to me. So, uh, yeah, I appreciated Kevin's perspective. You, you you mentioned nerves, and, you know, that's actually something we don't – I don't talk a lot about here, and it's actually something I should ask. You know, how do you deal with the nerves? You know, you want to compete at the highest level, but you know it's – you know, you, you put your – like you said, you're putting yourself out there in a competitive environment, and nerves are bound to happen. You've you've had a lot of success, but you've also – sounds like it's it's a constant with you, fighting through the nerves and getting comfortable. Is there anything that – you have that's a routine maybe listeners could could implement into their game as a way to you know get comfortable and free things up so you can play your best golf is there anything that you try and do to to get yourself comfortable as quickly as possible you know i wish i had a good answer to that and um you know you just try to breathe and you try to say you know whatever i do on this next shot i'll just live with it and and go find it or my partner will and and deal with it that being said, that's hard to do, um, but that's that's the only way you can do it. Just accept it and say, you know, I, I do say I got a five-year rule. Will I remember this in five years? And some a lot of time the cases that I won't, but in in the case of those East-West matches, yeah, I'm probably going to remember okay. in five years. So I could not, uh, I couldn't downplay it in my head. No, I. Uh, there's probably not a time where I wasn't nervous over a single shot or wow. every shot meant a lot to me and trust me on that. Wow. And sometimes that works out well, sometimes not so much. I wish I could lighten up. I, I really do. I think I'd be better if I could lighten up, but um, that's sometimes not in my nature. 
So, um, you know, great experience, obviously, at the East-West matches. Um, you know, uh, 2021 uh, was the year off, and they're going to circle back and do it again next November. So, obviously, you have a lot of things you're going to be playing in and, and doing to kind of get yourself back to uh, back to the East-West matches. What, um, How do you kind of set your schedule? How do you kind of figure out, you know, what do I want to play in? Um, you know, what's, you know, what's important in my life that, uh, you know, golf is not going to take precedent over or, or <laughs> are there things like that? You know, how do you kind of, uh, you know, navigate what you want to do, not just playing competitively, but I'm guessing maybe there's some other places you want to play in the country that you never played before. Yeah. You know, I look at that senior schedule and there's so much to play in. You could start, you know, basically first of January and go to December and play pretty much every week in some top quality events and i i try to set a schedule at the first of the year and i actually write them down and you know sometimes i'll end up playing in all of them or a lot of them and sometimes i won't i have to kind of pick and choose uh but there's also a lot in the in the south carolina and the carolinas as well so um and i i can't play in everything and i'm trying to say it Going into years, you know, I may cut back, but when the time comes, I, I do want to play. And so, you know, I hope we can got a few more years left where I can be competitive in this senior golf because it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I made a lot of good friends and the relationships I've made through it are, uh, are, are very dear to me. Well, Walter, before I let you go, I definitely wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked a lot about your own personal accomplishments in the game in competition. I know that South Carolina is near and dear to your heart, but um, have you ventured outside the country to play any golf or done any trips? Uh, curious where where the game, where else the game has taken you? Well, you know, I've got two older. I mentioned I have two older brothers that play golf. Uh, one, my oldest brother TD and I played. We played in everything from South Carolina four balls to mid-am four balls through the years, probably 27 straight years of playing the South Carolina four ball together. My, my brother Monty, who's about a six or seven handicapper, he, he loves to compete and he actually won the Spring Valley Senior Club Championship one year. Um, but we took a trip to Scotland in 1999, the year before my, before my father died. And uh, he could still play 36 holes, and I couldn't. You couldn't replace it. Uh, doing that and no. spending that time with my father in Scotland and my two older brothers, and uh, that's something I never regret. And and I would encourage people to to do that. You know, play with your family, play with your brothers, your sisters. Um, you know, as it's been a big part of my family's life, and. As now my children, and um, you know, I couldn't ever repay what God has done for me, uh, and, and the good times I've had. How? Um, I mean, I've uh, clearly it's a it's a, probably I'm guessing it's probably the most important golf trip you've ever had in your life. I don't know if a lot of people can actually think back to like what's been the most uh, you know important golf trip of your life, but it sounds like this is easily that one. Um, what courses did you play? I, I've been to I've been to Scotland a handful of times. You got to tell me about the courses you played. Yeah, we played the we played started out at Turnberry. Um, we did Royal Troon. We played uh, Carnoustie. We played the old course. The four of us. Um, you know, we my father still played thirty six in a day from time to time. Wow. 
um, and you know go in at night and have a few few cool pops with the local Scots and my my father just loved it and fit in boy he could talk with them and the, and the pubs and we all could it was a, it was a great memory and something they could never take away from us and uh, something that'll always be dear to me and that's you know outside of competitive golf but it was uh, just something I look back with and is a great memory in my life and you know it was it, golf kind of brought us all together or, we were together in a lot of ways and have always been close, but that, you know, the game, things like that that golf does for you are, uh, are you don't see it in other, other sports. Yeah, that's uh, that's one thing that I also love about Scotland where it doesn't matter where you come from all over the world. If you love golf, that's that's the common denominator. That's the common language. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you do have a slight, slight accent, a South Carolina accent. And I'm sure that they in Scotland might have picked up on that. And Oh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, – but it doesn't matter. Like, it's just what's so great about that, about about Scotland. If you love golf, then you're, you're welcomed. You're part of the family. Absolutely. And I've been told I was Scotch-Irish my whole life, so – think that something goes back in your blood that makes you love the game you know maybe something born into you but i think there's something born into you know i guess there's something about a good man or a good lady that just draws you to the game and i, I love being around it. i'm comfortable more comfortable in golf circles than probably any other circles and and the scots as you say they they love the game love being around it talk it at the pubs and play it and uh and i love being, being over there with them so um, I'm going to let you go because uh, I know you have, uh, you know, got to get some work done today. I mean, and we got to kind of get ready for, for more tournaments this year. What uh, What's kind of on the agenda for the rest of the year? I mean, obviously we're looking towards the fall. The weather's going to get cooler up there in South Carolina. Um, but, you know, what, what are you kind of working on right now? Well, uh, the, the South Carolina Mid-Am is this weekend, and then I'm playing in the uh, – Carolina's Virginia's matches. There's a, a, a match every year with a team from North and South Carolina play a team from Virginia, West Virginia. That is a lot of fun. And, and Walt actually made the team this year, so it'll be the first time I've ever played on the team when he's on the team. So uh, I'm looking very much forward to that. And uh, I think that's kind of going to wind my season up. There's another little local four ball at our at my home club, but um, I think that's kind of going to do it for me regroup and get ready for next year hope to play better next year you know this one thing i wanted to uh, before i let you go you were just talking about scotland and you know i know he's not a south carolina guy but he's an iowa guy he's he's been on the podcast and he was there at the east west matches um how just how impressive visit for for a guy to, to see what gene elliott has done this year winning the u.s senior amateur winning the british senior amateur in the same year when you see something like that, I, I'm guessing that motivates you to, you know, spend a couple more, you know, uh, you know, hours on the putting green, or, you know, you know, maybe implement a, a, a physical fitness program or something. I mean, when you see that, what does that do to kind of get you ready for next year? Oh, absolutely, it's a motivator, and you got to admire what what Gene did. Um, in fact, I went out there the year before. I, I know you know, but Gene lost in the. Uh, in a playoff in 2019, I was over there and actually went out and watched the playoff. Oh, with him and Royak. 
No, he, he got beat by oh, oh, uh, Craig Brit- oh, Davis. Oh, okay, in, in the British Senior you're talking about. In the British Senior at Sorry. North Berwick in okay. 2019, I think it was. It may have been 2018. The years run together on me. But, you know, that he he was – I think he was the only American that went over there this year, and he had to quarantine for two weeks. And what he went through and then to go to win the tournament was impressive and then come back and win the U.S. Senior. That's got to be a – a great year for Gene, and I know he's been a good player for a long time. But to actually pull that off was uh, was impressive, and yeah, that motivates me. I hope to get on a stretching uh, regimen and, and and get better. You know, I'm still motivated. I still want to compete, and I I want to win probably as bad as I ever have. Well, Walter, this is uh, long overdue. I'm glad that we were able to catch up. Um, it was really great meeting you at East-West matches. You were uh, <laughs> you were one of my highlights of the week, and I, I know that uh, you're going to do everything you can to get yourself back on that team and uh, got some unfinished business there, obviously. So uh, we will we will hope to see you at the, at the next East-West matches, and I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Hey, Ben, I appreciate you considering me. I enjoy talking with you, and... Uh... Yeah, I hope to see you see you there. That's definitely a motivating factor. And there you have it. Special thanks to Walter Todd for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.